Trevor Gerwood. I'm Francis Cuomo, and I play in a band called Hop Along. I'm Anna Birch. I'm Avery from Retirement Party. Hello, my name is Carrie. My name is Willow. I'm Eva, and I'm the front person of Charlie Bliss. Female fronted is not a genre. Female fronted is not a genre. Female fronted is not a genre. And female fronted is not a fucking genre. For the past few months, we at Arts Interrupted have been exploring the use of the female fronted classification, often given to DIY, punk, indie, and alternative bands. Although most of us can play a chord or two, we decided at best we talked to some actual experts. Generally, it is time we heard from those actually affected and offended by the label. So we enlisted seven different working artists to chat about their experiences in their respective music scenes. What we found, well, let's put it this way. It wasn't pretty. Here's a look back into the past episodes. I used to think that I should be good at everything. Kicking off our series, Avery Springer of Retirement Party told us about growing up without seeing a ton of women in punk. Although Green Day rules, or at least they used to, she wished she was able to see herself on the stage. Yeah, so I, I definitely uh, knew I wanted to play punk music when I like first saw live videos of Green Day. Um, as a young little like middle schooler, I was yep. like, oh my god, like these are like they just go up there and they're just they're saying fuck a lot and they're like <laughs> jumping around and like right. it's kind of I was like you know that's what I want to be doing that's that fun stuff but it you know also at the same time like I didn't I wasn't aware of a lot of like women that were doing that so a lot of like my early influences and stuff were, were definitely like highly comprised of men and dudes because like that's who I was able to see. Two weeks later we called up Carrie Alexander of Bad Bad Hats she told us about the pressure she felt to have a bigger ego when performing in order to feel equal to those in all-male bands. You know, I do think that there is, you need to have, you need to have a, at least some, you know, confidence, at least some ego, I think, to kind of like propel you. Ray Forrester and Karen Ledford of Girlwood then told us how they are mansplained to almost every day. Once it was by one of the biggest rock stars in the world. Someone like, in one of the most famous bands ever in punk music, came up to us and like, just mansplain the shit out of, like, female friend, female friend, female friend. That was, like, the only oh word he, he it used. Was, it was CJ Ramon from the Ramones, and he sat there and mansplained female fronted music <laughs> and why that's the future is female and that female fronted and that's the future. And he just wants to help all of them. But he just, like, sits there and, like, talks at us for, like, ten whole minutes. Not only are these musicians frequently mansplained to, but Willow Hawks of the Sonderbombs told us that they often give baseless comparisons to other female-fronted bands just because the lead is a woman. And I, I think it's really, again, discrediting for every single non-man or non-man out there that has, right. like, spent years, you know, perfecting their craft and developing their own sounds 
to just be chalked up to Paramore because the people who label us like that don't have any other point of reference. Hopalong singer Francis Quinlan reminded us that it's outright disrespectful to still be assuming gender identity or even considering it at all when talking about the contents of the music. There are times when I meet somebody and I realize I just assume their gender. I assume right. um, that all the things I assume about people far too immediately. I mean, there's too many people on this planet for us to um, make such broad assumptions about a person's experience, a person's whole life experience. And just because I am so used to, you know, my, in, at my age, um, having identified as a woman my whole life uh, and having been identified as female all my life, just because I've had that experience, it doesn't mean it's like mandatory somehow. Then last week, Anna Birch came into the studio to chat with us about the new phenomenon of men listening to female-fronted bands for clout, or as she puts it, just plain horniness. I think in some ways, like, people want clout for listening to, um, like, women. Like, I, I think a lot of dudes are like, yeah, I like, I love, you know, they get, like, really into liking, <laughs> I don't know, all the all the female-fronted indie artists. Right. Mm. And uh, I don't know if it's, like, from a place of horniness or, or <laughs> like, or if they, they want, like, you want know, the, the clout tokens or, or yeah. whatever, yeah. you know, so. I hope she sees this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Totally. <laughs> now, for our last episode, we're chatting with Eva Hendricks of Charlie Bliss. This was a very exciting interview for us. I personally have been a big fan of Charlie Bliss since they released their debut album, Guppy, in spring 2017. This album was a breath of fun and energy and excitement that kind of cut through the fog of very, very sad music I was into at the time. <laughs> Fiona Apple. <coughs> so when Sam told me that she had gotten an interview with their lead, Eva Hendricks, I was really excited. It's safe to say that we're pretty much best friends now. We are destined to be best friends. The New York-based four-piece power pop group started just about as DIY as you can imagine. Three quarters of the band have known each other since childhood. Eva has known her brother Sam since birth, believe it or not. And the group started seriously making music in the early 2010s. They released their second album, Young Enough, earlier this year. And as a surprise to absolutely no one, we're already seeing it pop up on some of the best of the year lists including Consequence of Sounds, who a certain executive producer may or may not work for. All of the lyrics are written by Hendrix, and on both records, they deal with themes of growing up, relationships, and how credit card theft can be a great metaphor for both. We were lucky enough to chat with her on the phone a few weeks back. As usual, I'm Emily. I'm Max. I'm Sam. I'm Will. And welcome to the last episode of Season 4 of Arts Interrupted and the conclusion to our Female Fronted is Not a Genre miniseries. And this is most certainly the Michigan Daily's premier arts and culture podcast.
just a quick warning before we get into the interview, there is brief discussion of sexual harassment in this episode. When it comes to sound, Eva cites the origin of Charlie Bliss' power pop style from a multitude of other pop musicians whose music she has enjoyed. As obvious as it sounds, the artists you spend a lot of your time listening to end up being major influences of your style. The mainstream artists that she listens to bleed into the sound she makes. One of Eva's favorites has been the one and only Taylor Swift, along with other female pop icons like Lord and Mitski. Starting off, how did you know that like power pop was the kind of music that you and the band wanted to make? Were you ever sort of apprehensive to break into that particular scene? You know, why or why not? Um, I don't think I always immediately knew what kind of music that we, I mean, we didn't know what music we kind of wanted to make. I think like, it should have been more obvious, and the reason I would say now why we make power pop is because that's what we listen to, um, and that would seem really obvious. But when we started out as a band, I think we spent a couple of years like trying on different personas and genres and figuring out what felt right for us and figuring out our place in the scene in New York specifically. Um, but yeah, I think as a music fan, the music that I listen to is mostly, um, you know, I love like Carly Rae Jepsen and Lord and uh, Taylor Swift and um, you know and I grew up listening to Weezer which you know obviously is more like a rock leaning band but um, power pop just the same awesome so yeah what are your thoughts on the new Taylor Swift album <laughs> I think it's amazing it's <laughs> like I I've noticed my pattern uh, as like a T-Swift fan and maybe just as a music fan in general is that I tend to like when she's putting out new singles for a new record, I'm always like, oh, I don't know. It's not going to be good. Like, mm-hmm. I like this is finally going to be the, the record that I really don't like and whatever. And then by the time the full album comes out, I'm like, oh, it's her best yet. Um, like, I totally, with reputation, I was like, this album blows. And then I uh, got tickets to go see it. And, like, you know, in the weeks leading up, I was like, I might as well just, like, really dive in on this record. I love Reputation. I obviously love 1989. Um, I, I love all of them, but I, I really think Lover is a really special record, and you can tell that she's kind of, like, come into her own and is sort of becoming more comfortable with who she is and the music she wants to make and less, you know, focused on how do I always stay the number one performer in the world. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's wonderful. I think that's really cool to see her make me the music that she wants to make. I I love it. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Okay, cool. So back to the written down questions, I guess. <laughs> um, I know. I'm like, we could just talk about Taylor Swift for this entire interview like, if you want. More whatever. Like, yeah, like, like speaking of, yeah, it's really, it's really, it's like homework for us. Yeah. Do you want to be on the podcast? Like, yes or no? Luckily for Eva, she has some pretty good bandmates. They're not only some of her childhood friends, but as she stated before, her brother's also a member. The group all grew up together, thus already established a solid rapport. This leads to a very supportive and respectful environment for Eva and the band in general. As opposed to the stereotypical band dynamic, none of the members try to assert any kind of dominance or try to flex their male bravado. As a woman, like being the only woman in the group, do you ever feel any particular like distance between you and the bandmates? I know that like your brother's in the band, like I don't know how that dynamic sort of is, um, kind of going off of that. Do you feel like yeah. there's any... No, I, ahead, I yeah, don't ahead. really. I, I Yeah, no, no, I, I think, like, um, I think I am really lucky in the position that I'm in um, because, A, my bandmates are really wonderful 
thoughtful, kind people who are, you know, just, you know, not out to make me feel like I'm the odd man out. I never feel that way. Um, with the four of them, I, I, they're like, luckily also not particularly like macho dudely dudes and have pretty, you know, uh, their egos are totally in check. Um, and um, I think we all have a lot of respect for each other. And I think that comes from the fact that we all grew up together. Uh, like Sam, obviously, is my older brother, but I met Dan when I was 10 or 11 doing musical theater. And like, um, oh, we're both theater girls. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. I love it. Okay. Uh, I, we are destined to be best friends. Clearly. Oh, um, my God. <laughs> but, um, and then Spencer is like the world's most like sensitive, sweet boy ever. I, he's technically like three months older than me, but he's my baby brother. Eva's experience is a good example of positive male members in bands. It isn't enough for a band member to not be sexist or to not make non-male members feel uncomfortable. Being a supportive male member in a band means going above just neutrality. Charlie Bliss members are very supportive and encourage each other. In fact, she says that she probably wouldn't be playing all this music if it wasn't for them. I just think, like, looking back, I feel so grateful that I'm, you know, that I somehow ended up in a band with these guys because Spencer in particular, like, I would not be making music if it wasn't for Spencer. He was the person who always encouraged me and believed in me, and all of my bandmates have believed in me. And I, I have a really hard time believing in myself historically. I've always really struggled with that. And I think something that I'm really grateful for is just the fact that my bandmates, you know, whenever I go to them and I say, like, oh, I, I can't do that. Like, don't, you know, don't ask me to play this guitar part. Don't ask me to play this sing part. Like, don't ask me to play drums on stage. I can't, I can't do it. They always just know to ignore me. And, <laughs> like, they are, you know, push me to believe in myself more. And so... I, I'm really grateful in that, no, I haven't had that experience. I, I've certainly experienced it from, like, press and from fans and things like that but um, and other bands that we've played with, but uh, I feel so safe um, and respected in my band, and I feel really grateful to my bandmates for that. For a lot of non-male artists like Eva, there's this unspoken pressure or really law, that feels almost as if musicians are required to minimize their femininity in order to maximize their success in the male-dominated DIY industry. There's a sort of fear of overwhelming audiences with too feminine of a voice, both literally and figuratively. Oh, that's so amazing. That's so great. Yeah. yeah so like kind of going off of that last point you're talking about, you know, do you feel like, yeah, being a woman, you get different treatment from fans or reps or like other working professionals? And like, was there maybe a specific moment that like made that kind of click in your head? Yeah, I mean, you know, there it's inherent to kind of being a woman in general, I think, you know. And so, yeah, from very, very early on, I and I, you know, maybe the most I've ever felt it was when we were first starting out um, because I just think the scene has really changed and um, for the better. But I remember when we first started out, maybe in like, I think it was probably in like 2011 was when we started playing shows and I just remember like every show we played I was always the only girl on the bill and um, I really felt as though first of all my voice is very feminine um, what I write about is of a very specifically feminine perspective uh, I think I really felt like I was holding our band back 
because of those things, because there was no one, I, there was no one else like me that I was seeing on any of these shows, and you know the bands that I was seeing gain traction and popularity didn't have women in them, and so I, you know, I assumed that the problem was me, um, and that was really hard. And like you know, and I think part of what I was mentioning to you earlier about like the very beginning and trying on different personas and genres, kind of was because of that. Of like you know, how can I should I tone down that part of myself as a performer and as a songwriter like how do I fit in more and obviously you know it's the ultimate cliche but the more you come into your own and the more you commit to being yourself that you know the more you have a voice that people can relate to and plug into. Something that we've heard from practically all of the musicians we've interviewed is the unfair treatment that they're often subject to at smaller venues most likely earlier in their career. Whether it be thinking she's a girlfriend of someone else, giving her backhanded compliments about being a woman in music, or even inappropriately touching her after the show, Eva's been there. This is when she feels most disconnected from her bandmates, she says. She then paints the larger picture. It's sometimes just generally dangerous to be a woman. You know, I've had, like, people at our shows uh, inappropriately touch me after a show. I have um, had, you know, plenty of, plenty of people come up to me after a show and be like, you know, I'm, I'm so into your band because I like female fronted music, you know, and mm-hmm. that's obviously so condescending um, and, uh, and hard to hear. And sometimes really, you know, sometimes you can brush it off and sometimes it really hits you wrong. And, um, you know, and, and then I've had bands that we've toured with, like not in a very long time, but I've had people say to me like, Oh yeah, we brought you guys on tour. Cause, like we wanted, you know, just because they wanted, like, a girl on the bill to, like, cover their asses, which also feels really demeaning. Um, And so, like, yeah, and and then, you know, and then, of course, like, the experience of showing up to a show, which happens all the time, um, and people, the people who work at the venue not believing that you're in the band that you're in, like, thinking that that you are someone's girlfriend. Yeah. happens to every single person that I've interviewed so far. Yeah. Like, that's just so insane. It really sucks. And sometimes you're like, turn around. I am in the poster right behind you <laughs> that is promoting this event that you are hosting. Like, yeah. wow. stop. I, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it, and that really hurts. And, like, and those are the moments when, like, I feel othered from my bandmates. And that is sad. Um, and, and, yeah, and, like, and touring in general. They're, like, you know, when you're in different parts of the country, like, it's it's hard but I feel like you know if we go to certain like gas stations and stuff like you know it's sad that this is true but like Spencer stays really close to me and always like you know waits for me outside of the bathroom and always makes sure that like I'm never alone and stuff and like and it's sad that that would be our reality but we've just experienced so many bizarre things on tour and you kind of never know what's going to happen so it's better to be safe than not (laughs) regarding the influx of diversity in the indie scene eva is a firm believer in giving those of different social groups the voice to display their own art she claims the ever-growing diversity in diy will make it a generally more exciting place to be in while eva understands and feels the aggravating effects of the service level qualifiers used to describe charlie bliss she does acknowledge how privileged she is to only have to deal with the tokenizing of female fronted as her hardest obstacle but still, to her, the term is limiting and makes these bands seem like a novelty. Talk about, you know, how hard it is to kind of like be lumped into this like female fronted genre. 
Um, but mm-hmm. like on the other side of that, like, do you still think it is important to like, you know, recognize that there are like bands fronted by women and like, like showcases representation or like also in the case of bands fronted by non-binary people, trans people, people of color, just to, like show people that there are people that like look like them or sound like them or whatever. I, I of course think that, uh, yeah, I want every band. I think every band should be fronted by, you know, like every, yeah. every <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, type of person you just listen. I think that's wonderful. I think that's how, like, I think that's a way more interesting music scene. Um, you know, you know, diversity is like is how I feel like music will stay interesting and um, exciting, and um, and how and on and honestly how we will ultimately change the world um, because that's like giving people a voice. And, and I think that's so important. I, and no, like, you know, it's a fact we, I'm in a female fronted band and, um, and, you know, people using qualifiers to describe our band. Like I, I understand that that's kind of like part of just like what happens in like the nature of what we do. I think like the harder thing for me is when, you know, it's really hardest for me when someone comes up to me after a show and says like, yeah, I'm uh, like, I've really been getting into like female fronted bands lately. Like, you know, whatever. Like, that's if, as if, like, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Meaning like, yeah. Because I just feel like that's sort of like reducing what you do to like yeah. a novelty. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I really think that change really happens when we're in, when we're like, you know, just like thinking like, oh, they're just a band. <laughs> you know, like I, I don't know, right. like they're um but that said, you know, like I am such a privileged person and um if that's like the worst qualifier I'm up against, like I feel really grateful. So I mm-hmm. I you know, but it absolutely it is it can be really frustrating to feel like someone's just reducing you to like, you know, how you present to the world is is really kind of uh, sometimes feels like shit. <laughs> yeah. No, that makes sense. That adds up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although the DIY scene seems inclusive, Eva said it sometimes is a facade. Oftentimes, she feels the DIY scene can be quite elitist and take a who's who type of attitude. Although there are many other bands who do have great experiences in DIY, in New York, Charlie Bliss did not feel accepted. Um, earlier, you talked about how you're like noticing kind of like a change in the scene. Um, like you guys started out really like DIY with soft serve and like mm-hmm. the like DIY community in general like has this really huge emphasis on like authenticity and like encouraging anyone to try to make music. But it like kind of seems with that that there's some like it's sometimes like that to a fault. Like it's sort of bordering on exclusivity to like not anyone. I don't know. It's like yeah. Great. But do you think that like alt or just like whatever is in general becoming more inclusive or like? How could it become more inclusive, and like what changes have you seen? Um, I don't want to sound cynical, but I can only speak to my own experience in the DIY community, which was that um, we didn't feel that it was very welcoming or friendly, or like bands were really supporting each other. Um, yeah, really. And no, we didn't experience that, but I know that there are plenty of people who have experienced that, and mm-hmm. that's wonderful. I think I really wish that we had felt more of that. Um, and I don't know if that's specific to New York as a as a scene, because that's the only you know that's the only scene we can really speak to. Right. Because mm-hmm. that's the scene we came up in. Um, no, like we we really did not 
um, feel much support from other New York bands. However, where the DIY community failed, certain venues filled these gaps. The venues that Charlie Bliss booked reaffirmed and encouraged the band. Booking these shows acted as a milestone of their success, each larger venue adding more fuel to the fire. I think there's a few venues that we felt support from, and I think, like, that's so important because, you know, like, if you, it's so important to feel that there is a place for your music, like, that there's, you know, like, and, um, and that was something that was really inspiring to us, like, you know, coming up in New York and slowly working our way up and feeling that we were gaining success because, like, oh, you know, oh, oh my God, we, you know, we'd only ever played a show at, like, Pete's Candy Store before, and now, like, you know, a year later, like, oh my God, we finally booked a show at, uh, like, uh, at, at Shea Stadium or something. We were like, mm-hmm. oh my God, that's the coolest thing ever. And then, like, from Shea Stadium, the baby's all right. Like, every step that we took felt like such a victory, and we're so grateful to, like, Specifically, like, the DIY venue, Shea Stadium, were so good to us and, like, really helped. In addition to the venues supporting Eva, the artists that they met along the way also encouraged them. Ironically, the further removed Charlie Bliss became from the DIY community, the more the elitist mindset of the DIY scene seemed to chip away. I didn't really experience that, um, and I did feel like it was very clicky and very exclusive and very, like, who's cooler than who, um, and that was sad and I feel less that way about the musicians we've met in the past several years who are like at, very far removed from the DIY community like I feel like you know uh that's just been my our experience has been like the people we've toured with in the past like couple years have been really supportive like you know like um Death Cab for Cutie are really supportive so wonderful great. people oh, and like and Wolf Parade and Pup and um and Teachers <laughs> and like and like are all have all been so good to us and like really 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 supportive of us and and we're really and you know oh Michelle from Japanese Breakfast is such yeah. a wonderful person and like um you know I, I think that I wish that we had had a different experience but like no that was not my experience. As we are all aware, the indie scene has been overwhelmed by many groups comprised of, well, four white dudes. Many of the artists that we've spoken with have commented on how they perceive the industry to be changing. Eva gave us some of her observations on how the scene is diversifying and what this means in the grand scheme of things. I have to believe like on some level that it's changing and, and the thing that I find to be so, that gives me so much hope is just that the scene really is changing. Um, I think people are very aware that it's really, really, um, I don't know, just like it's lame and short-sighted and, and uh, a handicap ultimately to be in a band that is super homogenous. Like I think we all benefit from from gaining different perspectives and gaining access to people who have experienced different things than we have. And um and I think that, like, you know, we're seeing in the, like, indie scene or pop scene or rock scene, whatever it is, like, we're seeing less and less bands that are just, like, four white dudes. Um, and that's really, I think, a, a really positive thing because I think that's how change happens. When you see other people doing what you want to be doing, you think, like, oh, if they can do it, I can do it. Um, and so that's, I think that gives me a lot of hope when I get down about this stuff. I was chasing 
Well, that about does it for this episode of Female Fronted is Not a Genre. One more big thanks to Eva Hendricks for chatting with us. Now go stream young enough. Wait, did someone say streaming? Yes, we did. So stream and follow us on Spotify. Where we are most listened to Spotify podcast? We sure hope so. Before we sign off, we want to acknowledge the lack of people of color on our series. This is not representative of the greater alt DIY scene. We did try to reach out to a few women of color, but it didn't pan out. But this isn't an excuse. We should have tried harder. Although DIY seems to be changing in terms of gender representation, these scenes are still a homogenous affair, and we should be working just as hard to give voice and attention to all underrepresented groups. Thanks for tuning in each and every week to Arts Interrupted. We had a wonderfully crazy season and can't wait to come back in January with some even cooler content. As always, this episode has been brought to you by me, executive producer Sam Small, content producers Max Rosenzweig, Will Peterson, and Emily Ohl, audio producer Spencer Harris, and our music is brought to you by Brad Chad Irwin. We also want to give a special shout out to Ryan Cox, our extraordinary audio engineer. His time with Arts Interrupted is coming to a close, and we just want to thank him for all the hard work he's done for us. All right, folks, thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. I'm a bullet if it wasn't the truth. I am a short team.